Hello and welcome to The Oatcast, a limited series podcast in which I explore the utterly inexplicable popularity of the glutinous muck known as porridge. For this week's episode, I had planned to talk to the organisers of the World Porridge Championship about just how ridiculous their lives must be and how badly they've disappointed their parents. But a flurry of messages following the first episode of The Oatcast led me down an unexpected rabbit hole. As you may recall, in last week's episode I included a quote from the first English dictionary, which said of oats, A grain which in England is generally given to horses, but in Scotland supports the people. It is of the grass-leaved tribe, the flowers have no petals, and are disposed in a loose panicle. The grain is eatable, the meal makes a tolerable bread. Now, if you'll excuse a slightly corny pun, the response I got to this short segment of the episode alone was Oat of this world. Within hours of publishing the episode, my inbox saw an absolute deluge of messages from outraged Scotsmen and Scotswomen, many of whom had seemingly never even heard of porridge. The majority of them weren't fit for broadcast, um, and the reason for that is pretty obvious if you just listen to this one here, for example. Listener mail. Now listen here, you smug I don't know who the you think you are, but that quote about Scots and Oats is a load of absolute And if I ever find out where you live, I'll come to your house and beat you about the heat with a bag of oats until you start greeting for your mammy. As I'm sure you can imagine, this was not quite the response I'd hoped for following the release of my first episode, but I sat down and listened to each of the 586 messages that made their way into my inbox after it hit the digital airwaves. A small percentage of them did not include death threats, and those are the ones that had my mind diving into metaphorical rabbit holes like a character out of Watership Down. Listener mail. I heard your episode about oats and it left me flummoxed. You you may want to do a bit more research in the future because I can assure you that no one in Scotland eats oats and I haven't a clue what porridge is. I even asked my wife who thought it might be a South American root vegetable. What utter nonsense. I'm as Scottish as you can get and I've never heard of anyone eating porridge. Or oats for that matter. Oats are for livestock. Are you joking? I've never heard of a Scot eating oats. Definitely not porridge, whatever that is. The first thought that struck me is that Watership Down is a very, very strange name for a book about rabbits, which neither live in water nor have the physical ability to build ships. And aren't all ships waterships? But more importantly, I could not believe what I was hearing in these messages, and I decided to record my thoughts before they escaped me. I can't believe this. I said just after hitting record on my recording device. Technically speaking, I actually did have to say that again after hitting record because that particular phrase I said before I'd hit record, which is what led me to record in the first place. Either way, having read hundreds of books and thousands of websites about oats and porridge, all of which pointed to the historical relationship between Scotland, oats and, you guessed it, porridge, how could it be that none of them seemed to have heard of it, much less eaten it? My mind was spinning. My mind is spinning! I had lived in Scotland. I had seen packets of oats on the shelves of supermarkets. Stoats, Nairns, Scots Oats, Hamlins, Oats So Simple, Quaker, Tesco Value Scottish Oats, Mournflake Mighty Creamy Superfast Oats, White's Organic Jumbo Oats, Jordan's Chunky Porridge, Tesco Finest Scottish Oats, Ready Breck, Wolfie's Nutty Porridge Honeypot, 
These were brands I had seen nearly every day for 10 years, but had I ever actually seen anyone buy them? My mind was racing as I replayed, with complete accuracy and in full HD-ready clarity, every single one of my supermarket visits between 2006 and 2016. What I saw had me doubting reality itself, as not a single person had oats in their shopping cart, basket, hands or tucked under their arms as they found themselves regretting the decision not to grab a cart or basket, but stubbornly refusing to admit defeat and retrace their steps back to get one. As a brief side note, there is no shame greater than having to return to the entrance of a supermarket, arms overflowing with products, admitting to the world that you had miscalculated how much you were going to buy. Better to be the master of your own universe, carefully bite into the corner of that final block of cheddar that you can't fit in your overloaded arms, then triumphantly spitting it out onto the conveyor belt, letting the other customers know that you knew exactly how much you were going to buy and clearly did not need a basket. Back to the story. If it hadn't been for the fact that what I was seeing was something that was actually being produced by my own mind as a memory that I was replaying in HD-ready quality, I would not have believed what I was seeing. That's a confusing sentence. What I mean to say is that I wouldn't have believed any of what I saw in my mind had it not been for the fact that it was very much in my mind, which I have no option but to trust. The shock of realising that I'd never seen anyone in Scotland actually buy oats made me collapse onto the ground like a sack of something that isn't oats but comes in a sack. Well, I didn't actually collapse so much as bend over and grab hold of my knees, and in honesty it was largely due to the fact that I'd started vigorously spinning on the spot in the opposite direction to which my mind was spinning, hoping it would help me think more clearly. My mind was spinning to the left, so I began spinning my body to the right. It did not work. Well, <clears throat> this isn't working. I said shortly before being physically sick on my wife's favourite sofa cushion. I flipped the cushion over, deciding to deal with the sick later. I'll deal with the sick later. And that's when it struck me. What I'd stumbled upon was a conspiracy. Possibly the oldest conspiracy in the world and certainly the most widely spread. Sure, a lot of people believe in QAnon and his or her ridiculous cryptic messages about overpriced pizza and 5G-compatible microwave ovens, but this was far bigger. Every single person outside of Scotland seems to believe porridge to be a thing and oats to be edible. But is it? Are they? This was a question that needed the full attention of a seasoned journalist. Someone with the intellect, tenacity and research ability needed to get to the bottom of the bowl without eating the porridge. Someone with one heck of a spoon and zero problem with chucking food right in the bin. And I'd be damned if I didn't get this scoop. In short, I was on the job and RTL would foot the bill of my investigation. There was no time to lose, so I slipped out of my nightgown and threw it onto the cushion with sick on it in the hopes that it would help stop the stench from spreading, then pulled on a pair of stretchy jeans, a loose-fitting t-shirt and running shoes. I had a feeling that this kind of in-the-field journalism would require physical flexibility. I later learned that it very much did not. Dressed for urban combat, I jumped into my car, a pristine 2013 Citroën C4 Picasso in shiny black, the absolute epitome of luxury, and sped off to the office. Staying well within the speed limit, I had the Jason Bourne theme tune playing on the built-in CD stereo that came as standard with this marvellous piece of automotive excellence. 
Arriving at the office, I parked the car right by the entrance and ran up to my boss's office, throwing the door open without knocking and caught her in the act of eating a spoonful of potato salad. I rapidly took in every detail of my surroundings. You've got mayonnaise on your cheek, I proclaimed, and her face revealed a mood shift. Having started out angry from my barging in unannounced, the mayonnaise incidents had left her mildly embarrassed, and I had the upper hand. I had to act fast. I've uncovered the most massive conspiracy theory the world has ever seen. It's going to rock the lives not only of Luxembourgers, but every single person in possession of ears and a smart telephone with Wi-Fi compatibility," I said with immeasurable confidence. I will need two weeks to pursue this and a 20,000 euro expense account. Between my history of breaking massive stories and the overwhelming embarrassment of having been caught missing her mouth with a spoonful of mayonnaise-covered potatoes, she agreed to my demands immediately. After receiving a mild scolding and stern reminder of office etiquette, I left with two days and a 50 euro note safely tucked into the small jeans pocket that lives inside of the larger one on your front right for some reason. In short, I got exactly what I wanted. Lesson number one for young journalists, always ask for more than you need and you'll get what you want. I'll tell you what happened next in just a moment, but first, a message from our sponsor. A morning brain is a slow brain, and making decisions first thing after waking up can be difficult. Did you know that 8 out of 9 people go without breakfast simply because they can't decide what to eat before they have to leave the house? If you are one of them, the solution has finally arrived. The breakfast wheel contains every single acceptable breakfast option – toast, eggs, cheese, beans, crumpets tin tomatoes and rich vegetable gravy. All you have to do is give it a spin and it will decide what you should shovel into your tired face. Get yours now on breakfastwheel.com With two days to get to the bottom of this conspiracy, I had to use my time wisely. So I turned to the repository of all the world's knowledge where any information you may need is at your fingertips the National Library. Standing in the main hall while trying to decide which section to look at first, my mind once again started spinning, this time to the right, with the thousands of possibilities that lay before me. I employed the counter-mind-spinning technique yet again, failing to remember that it hadn't worked the first time. Having deposited a surreal amount of semi-digested toast and rich vegetable gravy into the nearest bin, inspiration finally struck. The porridge section. Of course, that's where I should start. I spent the next 10 hours frantically reading through the titles, narrowing my selection of books down to ones that didn't seem to have a clear agenda in furthering the connection between Scotland, oats and porridge. In the end, I was left with just two books. One, a children's book about a lost parrot, which I eventually determined had been placed in the wrong section, and one simply called Oats, a Conspiracy. Something told me that this was the book I'd been looking for. I grabbed hold of it and dashed off to the bathroom, not because I needed to go toilet, I've got a formidable bladder and only pee once every two to three days, but because I didn't want anyone to see what I was up to. With a conspiracy of this magnitude, spies could be absolutely anywhere. Safely locked away in a cubicle, I hit record and started reading. Polly and Joey were best of friends. Every day as Joey returned home from school, his mum would let Polly out of her cage and she would spread her colourful wings and take flight, then wait for him by the door. The moment Joey opened the door, Polly would fly up and sit on his shoulder, then give his earlobe a loving little nibble. But today was different. There was no Polly. Where could she be? 
Hmm, it must be in code, I said aloud, while it would make sense to write a book as controversial as Porridge, a conspiracy in code, I realised some thirty minutes later that I'd accidentally brought both books with me and was reading the children's story. I chucked it in the bin so I wouldn't make the same mistake again and picked up the correct book. The link between Scotland and Porridge dates back to 1543, when Mary, Queen of Scots, famously proclaimed it to be the country's national dish and demanded that everyone eat it for breakfast every single day, supposedly to make her underlings heavier and thus more difficult for the English to boss around. The problem is, none of that is true. Porridge is not now, nor has it ever been, eaten in Scotland. This sounded very promising indeed, but the library was closing and I didn't have a library card, so I had to leave the book and continue my investigation in the real world. I took note of the author's name. As soon as I got home, I logged on to the World Wide Web, where I located his contact details and gave him a call. Zero, zero, one, one, five, three, five, zero, zero, one, five. The telephone number you have dialed is temporarily not in service. I had hit a dead end. It looks like someone had got to him before me, but I won't give up that easily. I'll return to my hunt for the Oat Historian in a future episode. That's it for this week, but I'll be back again next Wednesday with another episode of The Oatcast. Thank you also this week to Josh Odendijk, Andy and John Nickel, and everyone else who lent their voices to this week's episode. The music in the show is by Purple Planet. Also, before I let you go, please give The Oatcast a solid 5-star rating on iTunes or wherever you listen, and send a link to the show to at least 20 of your closest friends. Then check in with them every 20 minutes until they've listened to every single episode. So far there's only two, so I don't actually think that's asking them for much. And with that, this has been The Oatcast, I'm Martin Johnson, and you are a better person for having listened. Oh, and don't forget to head on over to our sponsor, breakfastwheel.com, to get your hands on, uh, well, a breakfast wheel. All right, goodbye.